Well, in case you didn't know, there's an election in two days. Not sure if you heard about that or not. And according to the news reports that there already have been over 90 million people, 90 million Americans who have already voted. And just to give you some perspective about that, statistically speaking, in 2016, there, this is about two-thirds already who have voted the total amount of people from 2016. So early reports seem to indicate that when it comes to voter turnout per capita, that this is going to be the largest turnout that there's been in over a century. And why all of the, the voters getting to the polls? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but maybe two that I'll point out. One is because there are a lot of issues that are in front of us. And I think probably every four years we would say that, wouldn't we? How often haven't you heard this phrase? I think it's every four years. This is the most important election in our lifetimes. It's, it's repeated a lot. But there does seem to be something a little bit different about this year when it comes to all of the issues. I have a number of them written for you on the screen, whether that be COVID or the economy, immigration, racial equality, Law enforcement, healthcare, foreign policy, the Supreme Court. There's just so many different issues. And that's one reason why so many people are voting. Another reason is that there's a lot of passion around these things. And once again, there seems to be passion every four years. That's true. But this year, when, when you think about the passion around getting out to vote, one thing that I've found that's kind of curious is that it's not really a passionate excitement or enthusiasm, is it? In fact, a lot of people I talk to, I don't know if this is about, true about you, but it is true about me, honestly, is a lot of people, they don't really love, love, love either of the candidates, truly. And so the passion doesn't come from excitement or enthusiasm. You know where the passion comes from? It comes from fear. There's a lot of passion around this election, and so much of it has to do with fear. Fear of what will happen to the economy if the other person gets elected. Fear of what will happen to healthcare if the other person is elected. Fear of what will happen to police or to the environment if the other person is elected. Fear of what's going to happen to our country if the wrong person is elected. And I, I want you to know something that if you don't believe me, you can Google it. This is not an accident that most people in America feel fear right now. Frankly, it's a tactic. If you Google fear in politics, you're going to find what I mean. But most people who run campaigns know that what gets people out to vote for them, what gets people excited or, should I say, filled with passion, what doesn't move the needle as much is positivity or good ideas or good policies. What moves the needle more than anything is fear. 
And if that's how you're feeling right now, at least just a little bit, then you've come to the right place this morning because I want to talk all about that. And I think one of the things I want to say here at the beginning is this, that I don't want you to take this message and the main idea at all that I seem to be indicating that it doesn't matter who gets elected. Because it does. And there are going to be positive and negative consequences likely no matter who is elected. So I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to an election. Let me say that as a caveat. There are. But here's what I also want you to know. Here's what I believe so, so much, and I'm going to show you why in this message. It's our first fill-in today. When you go to the polls next week, bring your vote, but don't bring your fear. As you think of next week, bring your vote into the next week, but do not bring your fear along with you. And if you think this is just some, you know, niceties that some pastor is speaking about, I want you to know it goes way deeper than that. This is way deeper than some fill-in-the-blank in 2020. Did you know that the most often spoken command in the Bible has to do with this? Over 200 times, and probably a little less than 300 times, we see in the Bible this command from God to his people in different generations, in different circumstances, with different problems. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. So what should that tell you if God is saying something like this over and over again? It means, first of all, this isn't the first time in history where there's been something to fear, That fear is something that people in this world have had to deal with for millennia. The other thing is that God doesn't want us to sit in it. God does not want us to stay seated in fear. But (laughs) here's the tension. I'm sure you don't want to be scared either, right? The tension, the difficulty is this is a hard thing to stop doing. Like if you want your three-year-old to stop writing with markers on the wall, you take the markers away. If you want your child to stop jumping on your bed, you lock the door to the bedroom. But what do you do when you're scared or fearful, whether it's the election or anything, and you want to stop being filled with fear? You know what I think? I think the more you focus on it, the harder it becomes. It almost feels like this impossibility, like um, maybe if someone tells you to stop blinking your eyes. You can try it for a time, but you're going to blink. So what do we do? Let me reiterate. The more we focus on the things that cause us to fear, the more fearful we will be. Whether it's an election, whether it's an illness, whether it's some relational concerns, whatever it is that causes you to fear, causes me to fear, what needs to happen is there needs to be a total shift and refocus of the mind. We need to refocus what we're concentrating on and what we're thinking about. Because 
I want you next week to bring your vote. But God does not want you to bring your fear. So where I want to start this morning is in a psalm that gives us a little bit of the background to how God feels and how God thinks when it comes to earthly leaders and when it comes to governments, okay? So it's Psalm 2. We're going to begin with verse 1. Listen to what the psalmist writes. He writes, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain. You can just imagine nations over the centuries having all of these plans that they they, want to accomplish and all these things that they want to do. The kings of the earth rise up. Rulers might even band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us, the people of the world, break their chains. They, They view... God is putting chains on them and throw off their God's shackles. Here's here's what the psalmist is saying. And and there's more to be said than what we have time for this morning. But when you take a look into the human condition, there is something in all of us that doesn't like it for someone else to tell us what to do. Someone else to tell us how to live. Someone else to be the point of our lives rather than for us to be the point of our lives. Naturally, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit in us, we're very self-focused people, all of us. We're very self-centered people, all of us, on our own. And even when it's God directing us, it feels sometimes like chains or like shackles. And in fact, when when you think of greatness, what the Bible tells us about a great person, well, is what Jesus pointed out in one of those places in Mark chapter 10. It's the exact opposite of self-focus. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And, And isn't it interesting, whenever people gain power, and whether that be on a government, federal, political level, whether that be at work, that so easily that power can lend itself to be about ourselves, can lend itself to be about our will and our goals, and we forget or we deliberately ignore what God has in mind for us. And so how do you think God feels about this? What do you think is his reaction to nations and leaders and people like you and like me that just want to throw off the shackles of God? Do you think God is worried about Tuesday? Do you think God's going to be up late watching his favorite news station hoping that the right person gets elected? Is God like, oh, I need to pray to myself that Americans get this election right because if they don't, oh man, all my plans are dashed. (laughs) You want to know what God's reaction is? The psalmist tells us. He says, the one 
enthroned in heaven as he looks at people thinking they're so powerful. They got everything under control. It's all about me. I need to throw off the shackles of God. He's in heaven. The psalmist writes and he laughs. Not like this is funny. It's not funny. It's like, um, it's like your, kid, your, your son yesterday wearing a Superman costume and he starts kind of jumping out into the air, hoping to fly, but he just keeps falling on the ground. Or your daughter who dresses up like Elsa, but's all discouraged because she can't make anything frozen. It's like, oh, that's, that's so cute. You're so, you wouldn't think this about your child. You think it's cute, but it's really what it is. It's ignorant. It's dumb that you could fly because you put on a red and blue costume, Right? That's the kind of laughing God has when he looks at us. It's not cute. It's ignorant. It makes him laugh at how absurd it would be that we have that much control of our lives or this world. And so in another place in the Psalms, in Psalm 146, we're given this encouragement. Do not put your trust in princes or in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, when they die, they return to the ground and on that very day, their plans come to nothing. This word for trust in the Hebrew has the idea of clinging or holding on tightly to something. And the image I want you to think about is this, and this will will help with your fear. What are you clinging to when it comes to Tuesday and the next year or the next 40 years? Are you clinging to a political party? Are you clinging to a person? Are you clinging clinging to some policies or even getting the right justice into the Supreme Court or whatever it might be? What are you clinging to? Because if you're holding on really, really tight with two hands to a person or a platform, guess what you're not able to hold on to? The King of Kings. And so sometimes what the psalmist is saying all the time is that we need to let go of what we're clinging to here so that instead we might trust, Hebrew word cling, to that which is truly in charge and truly powerful, the king of kings. Let's go back to Psalm 2, verse 4. The Lord scoffs at them. He, English word maybe, mocks them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying to these earthly kings, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Once again, God has a plan and he has a king. No matter how much we think we're in control, no matter how great we think certain policies or certain parties are, God scoffs when we think about how much we're truly in control because we're not. In fact, he has his king, his king Jesus, who's in charge. He's installed his king on Zion. So there's a, there's a couple of takeaways from this so far that I, I want you to think about as you consider this next week and 
this next year? The first is this. What we've talked about so far doesn't mean that it's okay to be uninformed and uninvolved. Again, I want you to understand that. I'm not saying, well, it just doesn't matter. No, God has made you a citizen of this country. He's given you a brain and a mind, and he wants you, he wants me to take interest in the things of our country. To not do that would be ignorant, would be unwise. We are to be informed. We should be involved. We should vote, and our faith certainly should direct that in one way or another. But here's the other thing. It does mean, though, what we've talked about, that we don't need to fear. It doesn't mean that it's okay to be uninformed, but it does mean that we don't need to fear. And here's what I, here's what I want you to know. Number two, God's will is not dependent on an election. God's ultimate plan and his ultimate will is not dependent on an election. So for a couple minutes here, I want to show you that from past history and give you a, a little bit of a quick little trip down history. So about 1,700 years before Jesus, there was a pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He did not believe in the true God at all. But for those of you who have been with me in that Genesis reading over the last uh, couple of months, we just read about this, where God made it happen. God was in charge so that, it's a long story, but that there was an Israelite named Joseph who happened to be the second in command in all of Egypt. And even though Pharaoh in the 1700s BC, even though Pharaoh had no interest in the true God before this, God made it happen so that this ungodly king would open wide his doors to keep God's people alive in the midst of a horrible famine. You know why? Because God's plan does not depend on an election or a king. About a thousand years later, God had it in mind because of their continued disobedience that he was going to put the Israelites into timeout. It's called the Babylonian captivity. And you know who was in charge of Babylon? A king, you've probably uh, heard his name, especially if your kids watch Veggie Tales, but his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Had no time for the true God, did not believe in the true God, but guess what? God didn't care. He used Nebuchadnezzar to carry out God's plan of a captivity for the Israelites. This, this next one absolutely amazes me. About 200 years later, the Babylonians were no longer in power, but the Persians were. And one of their kings was named Cyrus. And Cyrus, get this, Cyrus allowed for and even encouraged the Israelites to leave Persia, to leave his empire and to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the temple. Why would a king do that? 
because God had it in mind for Cyrus to do that. In fact, Isaiah, a couple hundred years before Cyrus even was around, I mean, this blows, your, this blows my mind, predicted Cyrus would be on the scene. This was written and foretold by Isaiah a couple hundred years before there was even a Cyrus. And Isaiah prophesies, God says of Cyrus, he is whose shepherd? This evil king, my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, <laughs> let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And guess what happened 200 years later? Exactly what God had in store. God's plan is not dependent on an election. And then 500 years later, about 30 AD, there was a powerful empire called Rome and a powerful emperor named Caesar Augustus who in his greed wanted to count everyone in the empire so that he'd get more taxes and could not only get rich, but boast about how big his empire was. Well, at the very same time, guess what? There was a woman in Nazareth named Mary who was pregnant. And because of Caesar Augustus's greed, they were forced to travel to Bethlehem to have a baby named Jesus, just like it was foretold hundreds of years before by a prophet named Micah. But you see, God's will was not dependent on who was in power. God's will is not dependent on an election. So it begs the question, what was God up to? What is God up to through all those years? Here's what it wasn't. It wasn't for the Egyptians to be powerful. It wasn't for the Babylonians or the Persians to be great. It, it wasn't about the Roman Empire. Frankly, God cares about our lives on earth, but in a very real way, he doesn't really care who's in charge or who's powerful in this world. See, what God was up to was the moving of history so that his promise of an eternal kingdom for people like you and for me and for Hudson, for people who need a savior, for people who are sinners and need to be forgiven, that we would have hope for an eternal kingdom where we're around the throne of the King of Kings who not only died for us, but now sits in power. The one that God has established and set his king on Zion. That's what he's up to throughout history. It's a much bigger picture than the little four years we're thinking about right now. Which leads me to number three. God has an amazing plan in mind for his people. God has an amazing plan in mind for his people. I, um, I know I said something like this four years ago, 
but it's just as applicable today. Um, I love this country and I love the fact that God has allowed me to be born into a country where um, I have a good life and where I'm able to worship God in freedom. And the older I get, young people, the more I see how blessed I was to be born into this country. I had no choice in it. It was a blessing that God gave to me. And yet, as much as I love my citizenship here, and I love it, it's not the most important citizenship that I have. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a policy, a law, a reform, a president. We eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, everything under his control, how much? Everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is who we are. We can love our country. I hope you do. But this is not where we're from. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so guess what? We don't need to fear. We don't need to fear. As we close out this message and this entire series, I want to get back to something I said at the very beginning, that it's hard to just tell yourself, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We need to refocus. And sometimes we need to change where we look. Listen to what Pastor Paul tells the Colossian Christians in the first century, I think has such great application as we close today. Since then, you, you who have faith in Christ, you have been raised with Christ. You've been given a brand new life, a brand new hope, a brand new purpose, a brand new goal for life. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated in power as a king at the right hand of God, verse two. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is not yours anymore. It is now hidden with Christ. He is your life. He is your purpose. He is your hope in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Next week, people are going to be coming with a lot of hope for better, for hope for the right person to be elected. And some people are going to be looking right. And those policies and that agenda, and that platform. And a lot of other people, statistically speaking, about half of the people (laughs) are going to be looking left. And those policies, and those agendas, 
and that platform. But do you know where Paul tells us to look? Not right, not left. What he wants us to do is to look up. You know what happens? Number four, fear loses its power, loses its grip, loses its stranglehold on us when we look up. It doesn't mean that we're cured of fear and it never bothers us again. I wish, not this side of heaven. But what it does mean is it begins to lose its stranglehold on us when we remind ourselves this week and always to continually look up. And so as the day of this election approaches, it's good to vote and to be involved. It's good to study and to understand who you're voting for. And like I said before, I I firmly believe as Christians that our, our faith should be a consideration, what we believe and what we think God would direct us towards. But where I want your eyes is not right and it's not left, but I want your eyes to be up next week. Because here's what I know. On Wednesday or Thursday or two months from now when it's finally figured out, I know who's still gonna be sitting on the throne. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for opportunities to see through the pages of scripture, how you are so in charge all the time and how you work things out for our eternal good and for the salvation, eternal salvation of the world. And Lord, in this moment, I just pray that every single person in this room would learn today to trust you more. Lord, you have a perfect plan. And sometimes that doesn't mean that life is going to be great. And it may get worse here on earth, but we are blessed to know that we know how the story ends with you in heaven, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.